Hey, I'm so glad you guys are joining us this weekend on this Mother's Day weekend. Uh, so hopefully you have a great day. Uh, we kind of want to continue conversation we're having. So if you have a Bible, grab it, go to Acts chapter 4, uh, get something to take some notes with. Uh, we've been talking about the church, what the church is, what the church isn't. Uh, some of the things that we've said is, is this, the church isn't a building. So the people who come to this building on the weekend, they're not going to church. They're, they're simply going to a building where the church meets, right? Uh, church isn't a service. You don't go to 8 o'clock church, 9.30 church. That's just a service where the church uh, worships together. The church, we've been using this definition. It might be good to write down. The church is simply a called out uh, community. So they're a church, a community of people who is called out by God. They follow Jesus as King. I would add to that Savior, Lord, and King. He can't be King until he's Savior, and they're filled with the Spirit. That's what the church is. But, but the question we're dealing with is this, and if you're just kind of checking this out today and haven't been with us in a series, we're dealing with the question, okay, if that's what the church is, then what should the church be doing? What should the church be like in this culture that we live? And a couple weeks ago, I read this quote to you, and I think the question I just asked provokes the question that a, a self-renowned uh, proclaimed atheist uh, presented to us a couple weeks ago. His name is Ben Sixsmith. Here's what he said. He said, I'm not religious. So it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, he says, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. That's interesting. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. And then he says this, instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. And that's the problem. That's the question, right? The church is called out by God following Jesus. It begs the question, what should the church be doing? What should the church be like? And it stands to reason, listen, we can either dismiss Mr. Sixsmith's observations about the church or as a church, we can allow our critics to be our coaches. That's why we're in Acts. Acts tells us what this community of called out people was like at its inception, at its beginning. Acts is a description of the church that challenges us and inspires us in this cultural moment. And it, the church is called out from its culture, stands distinct. Uh, some of the things we've said is, is this, that if you haven't been with us, you can check. In fact, I encourage you, go back, check out the conversations we're having. They're so important. But we said the church is a community that's already set apart with a mission in a culture, right, that's always searching for a cause. Uh, second week, we said this, that in this culture that's unusually distracted, the church is a community that's uniquely devoted, Right? Uniquely devoted to the message of Jesus, sharing life together in Christ, right? Uh, practicing the presence of Jesus. Uh, the third week we said this, that the church is a community of kind orthodoxy, right? In a culture of ideological idols. It was an important week, an important conversation. Really dove into how that teased out in cultural conversations that are happening. Last week, Pastor Jay, uh, JC, did a great job of leading us through the church is a community of people that, that fully trust God in a culture that prefers its own way. Here's what I want to talk about this Mother's Day. Ready? Write this down. Uh, I want to go here with you in the conversation that the church is a community that prays to make a difference in a culture, right, that posts to make a point. Here's what I mean by that. 
Uh, we live in a time when everybody wants to make a point, right? You know that. You just have to observe the world, right? Uh, you turn the news on. I, this is interesting to me. I've lived long enough now to notice. Like you turn, there's not really anybody reporting the news. You turn on the news, everybody's making a point, right? Everybody's giving their opinion. You already know that. But but you don't even need to turn the news on. All you got to do is drive down the highway, right? And uh, you see maybe cars like this, right, where, where everybody's making a point, right? They kind of got bumper stickers and they, they, they want to let you know what they think about everything, every issue that's in front of us, right? And so you drive down the road and everybody's making a point. I, I found these bumper stickers. I, I, these were interesting, right? This bumper sticker said this, my opinions are awesome, right? And it says, go to this website, www.websiteyou'llnevergoto.org, right? I like this one. My mind was changed by a what? By a bumper sticker, and then it says this, said no one ever, right? I mean, you drive down the road, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but drive down the road and all of a sudden you're just flooded with people making points on the back of their car. Now here's what's interesting. What's interesting is this, is we might not, uh, we've evolved some from plastering our cars with all these points we wanna make with our bumper stickers, right? And instead of that, what we do is, uh, instead of bumper stickers on our cars, we, we've gone virtual. We do virtual bumper stickers. You know what I mean by that? Like we travel through cyberland making points. That's what social media is. Uh, I looked up some statistics. It says this, Facebook, some of you big Facebook users, right? It's not age specific either, by the way. <laughs> it's not just young people, right? Uh, Facebook has 2.7 billion, 2.7 billion monthly active users. Instagram, 1.1 billion active users, right? Twitter, 353 million monthly active users. And what happens is this, on these social media sites, it's kind of like traveling through virtual land, right? And we get to plaster our bumper stickers, make our points. I was meeting with a gal just a, a, a couple weeks ago, and here's what she said. She said, I have, I love Facebook. And I said, tell me why you like Facebook. She says, because on Facebook, I can post my opinions. I don't like to do it in person, she said. I don't like to do it in person, but she said, I love that I can just let everybody know what I feel about whatever, right? I mean, behind the screen, there's this courage, right? I meet with people that are totally different people on Facebook than they are when you meet them face to face, right? We have this opportunity just to post, opine, to give our opinion about everything. Here's the deal, here's the deal. The church can look just like the culture. Uh, the truth is, uh, we like to make points. Sometimes we use pulpits to make points. Uh, I would say this, sometimes we use church signs mm. <laughs> to make points, right? Uh, there's some church signs that I drive by and I just cringe because here's the deal, we make a point and there's no context to the point, right? And so what happens is when we end up making our points, we can forfeit making a difference. When you look at the book of Acts, the church is a community that prays in this posting to make a statement world. Prayer, think about it, prayer is one of the unique resources given to the church. It's, a, it's unique to the church. And the young church in Acts was steeped in prayer. I don't know, you can write this down somewhere, it's just interesting. Prayer is referred to in the book of Acts, 28 chapters, about 30 different times. 
after Jesus gives them their mission, just look at these passages. Uh, after he gives them, he says, I want you to go be my witnesses. Look at what they were doing. They joined what? What's the word? Constantly in prayer. Uh, they needed somebody to replace Judas Iscariot, right? And what did they do when they were trying to decide who? Acts one twenty four. Then they what? Prayed. After Spirit of God came, you find this community of believers, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to what? To prayer. They devoted themselves to these things, and here's what happened. When you read the story of the church, God starts working. God starts doing phenomenal things. But here's, I want you to remember this. When God starts working and God starts doing some things, in the story of the church, some factions in the culture begin to work against it. I read a guy said this, wherever the church grows, it will meet opposition. Wherever the church grows, it will meet opposition. Jesus said, they persecuted me. They will persecute you. Pastor JC talked to us about that last week, right? That was his conversation. In fact, I, I, I would say this, listen close, listen close, lean in. I think it's in persecution, opposition, inconvenience, discomfort, when the church has the minority voice. That's when we see what is real about the church. Not when times are good. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, here's the story. They just healed this guy. We talked about that two weeks ago, right? And then they preach a sermon, right? They heal this guy and they proclaim the message of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. They're thrown in jail and then they're brought out and they're told never to speak this again. And here's what they said, we can't do that. That's a line too far. And so they release them because they don't know what else to do with them. And they go back to the church, this community of people, Peter and John goes back to the church. And that's where we pick it up. Look at your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, kind of follow on the screen with me. Acts 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John, two guys we just were talking about, went back to their own people and reported to all the chief priests and elders what they had said to them. When they heard this, the people, that is, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That had been fun to be there, right? <laughs> and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Here's what we're looking at today, that the church is a community that prays like them to make a difference in a culture that posts, or you can add to this, pickets, protests, petitions, whatever you want to say, to make a point. Guys, this is fascinating to me. The church, they prayed to make a difference. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, ah, listening to the preacher talk and he's talking about prayer. You expect the preacher to talk about prayer, right? And I get that, right? You expect 
Uh, at church, you're going to talk about prayer, right? The preacher's going to talk about prayer. But there's something different going on here. And here's what I want to do for the next 20 minutes or so with you. I want to take a look at this passage in Acts 4, and I want to ask ourselves some what-if questions, because these people prayed different. They prayed different to make a difference. And I want to ask five what-if questions, what-if observations, as we walk through this passage together. Uh, let's start back and just kind of tease it out uh, verse by verse. Verse 23, on their release, so they just were jailed, told not to speak, threatened. Peter and John went back to their own people, and they reported all that the chief priests, and elders, that's the one who threatened them, had said to them. When they heard this, just stop for a second. When they heard this, just put yourself there. I wonder what your reflexive response would have been. Peter and John, I wonder what your, like if they came back and told you all that just happened. Oh, they threw us in jail for preaching. I wonder what your reflexive, what, my, what it would have been. You gotta be kidding me, right? We gotta plan a march, right? You gotta be, or maybe it would have been this. You know, Peter and John, maybe the deal is this, we gotta rethink our strategy. Maybe instead of leading with that particular sermon, you ought to start with like a nice parable or something, right? Or maybe we need up security. I don't know what your reflexive response would have been. But look at what theirs was. When they heard this, they what? Raised their voices together in prayer to God. Guys, listen, don't miss this. Their reflex was to pray. Their impulse was to pray. Their instinct was to pray. It leads me to this question. I want you to write it down. What if prayer was our first response instead of our last resort? I love the apostles are jailed and they're told not to, uh, to preach about Jesus and stir up any more trouble. And then they let them go. They couldn't figure out what to do with them. Pete and John go back to the church and they share what happened. And their first, their first reflex, their first response was to pray. It wasn't to protest. They didn't put together a petition, post something on Facebook. They didn't hire a lawyer. They didn't take it to the news. They didn't sit and complain about the culture and how awful it was. You know what they did? They appealed to the creator of the universe. They appealed to the highest possible place for them to appeal. Here's the point. Let's just be really practical today. For so many of us, prayer is simply a last resort, isn't it? Come on, you've said it, I've said it. <laughs> I've tried everything else. Might as well pray. When all else fails, what? Finish it. Pray. I mean, sometimes prayer is what you do when everything else, right? It's the last resort. Uh, I had, you ever had experience like this? I had experience like this. I was doing a funeral and I uh, was uh, doing a funeral with uh, another pastor. I'd never met him. And so I was gonna meet him at the funeral. We had talked over the phone and we had made an agreement that I would preach the funeral and he would pray at the funeral. Then we'd go to the graveside. He would preach the graveside service and I would pray. Sound like a good agreement. Funeral is a dear lady, dear lady. And uh, funeral, we, I preached, he prayed, everything went great. I met him at the funeral. We, we hit it off right away, became good buddies, uh, talking about ministry, all that kind of stuff. Went to the graveside. And we got to the graveside and the family all sits in, in chairs and they bring the casket and they set the casket uh, on the platform. And I'm standing beside my new friend, right? And he's gonna preach the graveside and I'm gonna pray, right? 
And I'm watching as the pallbearers place the casket on the platform. And I noticed that it looked different than tons of other funerals that I've done. And I noticed that when they sat it, it just shifted just a little bit, but I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting because it was on a hill. And the family was sitting here and the casket was here. My buddy, my new buddy now, he began preaching, sharing from God's word, and I'm watching that casket. And lo and behold, that casket went from shifting a little to it rolled right off of that platform and started rolling down the hill at the family. He, I wish I could tell you I was making this up, right? It happened. I'm watching this thing. It was like surreal. It was almost like slow motion. You know, people are like a mess and they're you know screaming and it's traumatic, right, for the family. I'm like, oh my goodness. I can't believe this is happening. Once the casket came to rest and everybody got out of the way, we went and picked it back up and some of us guys went and put it back on the platform, securing it this time, make sure everything's okay, get the family all back. They kind of had a moment and then they kind of lightened up and everything's gonna be okay. After this moment, we all got back together like, well, how do we finish this now? My new friend says, at this moment, Pastor Dan's gonna pray. That's <laughs> what he says. I'm like, thanks, bud. What do you say, right? But but here's the deal. For some of us, prayer can just be a last resort. It's like, I don't know if you just pray, right? Here's what I want you to remember. When you're filled with the Spirit and following Jesus, you reflexively pray as a response to the presence of Christ in your life. Now, a guy I was reading this week said this, prayerlessness is not as much a discipline issue as it is an issue of not recognizing the presence of Jesus in my life and the power of the Spirit of God at work in my life. That's interesting. So I gotta be more disciplined to pray. Now I just gotta recognize Jesus is with me, he's present. Spirit of God, that's what it's an issue of. Because when I recognize Jesus is with me, Spirit of God is in me, prayer becomes the reflex. It makes me ask this question. What if, parents, your first impulse was to pray? <laughs> I know, those kids are, moms, I get it. You're, the kids are challenging, right? I get it. Things aren't going the way you had hoped. They're not following the direction you gave. What if your first impulse was to pray? What if your first impulse when things were unfair was to pray? What if when you were mistreated, your first impulse was to pray? <laughs> what if things were going, when things were going good, your first impulse was to pray? What if when things were going bad, individually, corporately, our first impulse was to pray? You see, it's a what if. Their first impulse was to pray. That's not all. Look at this. Uh, it says this. They, they raised their voices... Uh, I would circle that in your Bibles, together in prayer. I'm intrigued by the, the fact that they prayed together. Here's what strikes me about prayer in our culture, and this is just, you know this to be true, but tons of people say they pray. Lots of people say they pray, and that's good. They say they pray privately in the car. I, I have talked to God all day long. They pray privately, and that's good, but there's something powerful that happens when we pray together. At least to the second what if observation, what if we prayed together and then I said two? What I mean by that is praying privately is great. It's awesome. Like praying on your own is, is a wonderful, 
wonderful habit and experience, but what if we prayed together too? I read a book several years ago uh, by a guy named Jim Cimbali. He's a pastor in, in uh, New York City. He says something uh, that just strikes me, and I think it's true. He says, am I the only one who gets embarrassed when religious leaders in America talk about having prayer in public schools? That's a big point people like to make. We need prayer in our schools, right? But he says this, we don't even have that much prayer in many churches. He says, out of humility, you would think we would keep quiet on that particular subject until we practice what we preach in our own congregations. I would add to that that no prayer in school is not the problem that we need to make a point about. <laughs> the issue is, are we praying in our homes together too? Are we praying in our groups? Are we praying together in a, in a manner that makes a difference? Uh, I, don't, I don't know uh, if you're familiar with this story, but if you read the Gospels, uh, this just struck me as I was, as I was preparing some things yesterday. Do you remember in the story of Jesus, the day Jesus got mad? Do you remember? Yeah, it's found in all the Gospels, actually. And the day Jesus got mad, he came to the temple. And what did he find? He found a lot of activity, but no what? No prayer. He said, he said my father's house is a house of what? Prayer. <laughs> I like what, Jesus, what made Jesus mad was there was all this activity. And no prayer. That's interesting to me. Like, I think if Jesus were to show up, I'm like, are you guys praying? <laughs> like, like, prayer tells me something about my posture, about my perspective. There's something unifying about raising their voices together. You know what I so long for here at the Norton Campus of Grace Church is a culture of prayer. I don't want to just start a prayer meeting. That's not the answer to this. A culture of prayer. What if groups, some of you might be grace group leaders, what if they begin to raise their voices together in prayer? What if families begin to raise their voices together? What if marriages, students, what if students began raising their voices together in prayer? What if there were huddles of prayer happening in homes, happening maybe in this building, huddles of prayer happening in the park, maybe at places of work, maybe in coffee shops? I don't know. What if we prayed together? Too. There's something else. It says this, they raise their voices together in prayer to who? Say it out loud, to who? To God. Who do they pray to? They pray to God. You're like, okay, preacher, I got that one, right? <laughs> I hear you, right? You're like, duh. <laughs> they prayed to God, right? Uh, think about it for a minute. When I know who I'm talking to, it changes the conversation, Right? And sometimes we don't always know who we're talking to. I watched a, uh, I like watching documentaries. Anybody like that out there? Raise your hand. Love documentaries. Uh, this particular one was about a sports guy. Um, he played defensive back for the San Francisco 49ers. I think it was back in the 80s, possibly. Uh, he might be one of the best to ever play. His name's Ronnie Lott. So some of you like football. And if you're old like me, you'd recognize that name, right? But I was watching this documentary, and uh, it was a documentary that was led, uh, interview led by his daughter, and they went from the time uh, his kids were little to present day. And what was interesting to me is that it wasn't until he had retired 
from football and they were enshrining him in the Hall of Fame that his kids even knew that he was a football player. Like, like this man that, that I knew is like this vicious uh, defensive back for the 49ers, interceptions, incredible tackles, this incredible football player. His kids, they just knew him as dad. Like he was the guy that read like Cinderella to them. He was the guy that put them to bed at night. He was the guy that sat in with them. They had no idea that he was a Hall of Fame, maybe the best defensive back in football history. And uh, his daughter says, I remember going to the Hall of Fame, listening to all these people talk about my dad and thinking, my dad is so much more than I ever knew. <laughs> That's interesting, right? It, it makes me think something when I think about this prayer in Acts 4. And it leads me to my next what if. It leads me to the what if we really knew who we were talking to. And what if God was so much more than we thought? Because the truth is many of us, for many of us, prayer is talking to God. We got that. And for many of us, we've been taught, rightly so, that he's our heavenly father. Jesus taught us that, right? But that's all we know. That's all we know. He's like my heavenly father. But there's so much more. And these people knew so much more. Look what they said. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they said. Sovereign Lord. The word there is despotos. Say that out loud. That's kind of fun. That's Greek, right? Despotos, right? Here's what it means. The absolute ruler and owner of all. Like, like they, they knew their heavenly daddy was the absolute ruler. That God is in control. Listen, listen, lean in. They knew that their daddy was despotos, absolute ruler. He was in control even in their present persecution and opposition. There's a sense uh, to which prayer is about getting God in his rightful place. Like God's not our, you know, I've said this before, he's not our heavenly homeboy, right? Uh, God's not our Facebook friend, some divine old man in the sky. What's up, big guy? That's not God. Like, like, Like our Heavenly Father is the sovereign Lord. Prayer is a conversation with our Father, but our Father is the King and the ultimate ruler. They go on, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I'm talking, when I talk to my Father, I'm not just talking to the ruler, but I'm talking to the creator of everything, including me. Like prayer is a conversation with our Father, but our Father is the all-powerful creator. Listen, write this in your notes somewhere. Sometimes my God is too small. Sometimes my God is too small. I was thinking of this passage in Isaiah 40. Let me read it to you. You can look it up. Isaiah 40. To whom will you compare me, God says? Who's my equal? Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He, he brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one's missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord doesn't see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard, have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. 
But those who trust, this is Pastor JC's conversation last week, trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Ecclesiastes 5, write this somewhere in your notes, says this, much talk and much dreaming can be meaningless, therefore stand in awe of God. I think what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is this, is that there's this, that when, when God gets in his rightful place, there's this jaw-dropping moment when I realized my father, like I was watching these kids in this documentary, when they saw their dad being enshrined, they're like, that's my dad. And, and, and there's the same sense with God when I get him in his rightful place and understand that he's the Isaiah 40, the Ecclesiastes 5, God, ah, oh, there's a jaw-dropping moment. When we pray, we're praying to a father who's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everlasting, and he's everywhere. Which that's not all. They, they said he's sovereign Lord. You made the heavens and the earth, see everything in them. Now, now look, you spoke. This is so key what I'm getting ready to teach you, okay? You spoke. He's the God who spoke by the whole Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Then they quote from the book of Psalms. Why? So their prayer is quoting from the book of Psalms. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and, his, and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Listen, I want you to remember this. When we pray, we're praying to our heavenly daddy, Father, who is the ultimate ruler, king. He's the all-powerful creator. And I want you to remember this. He's the all-powerful creator who has spoken. And they're quoting right out of the book of Psalms. And it will change the way you think about prayer. A guy named Eugene Peterson says this about prayer. He says, true prayer is not just talking to God. You should remember this. It's worth writing down. It's answering God. True prayer is answering God. God has already spoken in his word. Prayer is just a response to what he said. There is a mammoth difference in praying that reacts to my circumstances and prayer that responds to what God has spoken in his word as the ultimate ruler and creator who has revealed his plan to us. I was reminded, I guess today's the day for sports documentaries, huh? but uh, uh, I was reminded of uh, Peyton Manning. Some of you know he's a, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, right? Played for the Colts and then for the Broncos. And if you know anything about Peyton Manning, you know this. He spent more time than any other quarterback, probably in history, in, in, in studying, in the film room. I mean, he spent more time studying the game, studying his opponent, than any other quarterback I have ever heard of. And, the, and what would happen is he would be so ready that in the moment when things went differently than he planned. So he would go into the game when things went differently than he planned, he knew what to do. You know why? Because he had studied and he knew what to expect and how to react when things went differently. I find it interesting that in the moment of trial, persecution and opposition, the apostles knew what the scriptures had addressed and how they would navigate that situation. It's interesting to me.
When you know who you're talking to and what he said, it changes your prayer. Changes your prayer. The problem is sometimes we, we in our Christian subculture, hijack passages of Scripture. Like, like what I mean by that is we've hijacked passages like Psalm 46, right? Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. We, we love that, right? It feels like, man, some of you have that on a coffee cup. It's in a plaque. And it's like, I just go sit by a stream on a mountaintop, soft music. Be still and know that I am God. But you got to read the rest of the chapter. This idea of be still and know that I am God is, is, is to recognize his presence. But the, the rest of the chapter says this. Verse 1. God, that God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of what? Trouble. So we'll not fear when earthquakes come, mountains crumble, like the world's falling apart. Oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. And then he says, the whole world's in chaos. The nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Listen, guys, I, I, I so want you to hear me say this. The church is a called-out community that isn't panicked, reacting to everything going on around us, but we're responding to our Heavenly Daddy, who is the ultimate ruler, sovereign, in control, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere. And He's a God who's spoken, and He's revealed His will. In his word. J.B. Phillips, good book, write this down. Your God is too small. Said this, if it's true that there is someone in charge of the world and the whole mystery of life and death, we can hardly expect to escape a sense of futility and frustration until we begin to see what he is like and what his purposes are. And I believe that. I believe that. Let's keep going. Last few minutes here. Uh, verse 29, they're praying and it says, now, Lord, consider their threats and stop. You fill in the blank. <laughs> what would you have asked for? Come on, be honest. Don't give me that sugar-coated answer. What would you ask for? God, look how they're threatening us. God, I pray that, man, I pray that you would nail them to the wall. Or maybe just like, God, consider their threats and give us Traveling mercy and safety and protection and what would you pray for? Just be honest. Because I think what they pray for is going to challenge us. Look, look, look. Consider the threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Write this down. Here's the what if. What if, what if we changed what we were praying for? Their prayer was directly tied to the mission Jesus gave them to be his witnesses. They, listen, they did not pray for better circumstances. You know what they prayed for? More boldness. That's what they prayed for. More boldness to carry out the mission they were sent with. They prayed different than I do. I might have prayed, God, look at their threats. Get them, kill them, squelch them, right? There was not revenge, no Eeyore praying here, nobody throwing up their hands, uh, right? That's not what they did. Now, now look, there's something important here. I want you to see this. 
It says enable, here's the word, circle this in your Bibles, your servants. This is key. That word is doulos, doulos. That word means a slave, a bondman, one who gives up himself for another's will. They said, we're your servants. They recognized, here's prayer, that God is the despotos and we're the doulos. God's the despotos, sovereign Lord. We're the doulos, we're the servant. You know what prayer does? It gets us in our rightful spot and puts God in his rightful spot. That's what prayer does. Make us, they said, as your doulos, better able to do what your servants were called to do so that you can do what only you can do. Listen, I don't have time to flesh this out much. And I know you don't struggle with this. I'm, I'm sure you have no problem with this. But many times I switch those. Many times I want to be the despotos and I want God in my prayer life to be my doulos, to serve my purposes. I spend a lot of time praying for my will, not his. I spend a lot of time praying that he'll bring comfort to me, that he'll multiply my kingdom instead of spreading his. They prayed, God, make us bold. Make us better able to be people who point to you in the middle of our circumstances, which are less than ideal. They ask for enablement to be witnesses, not escape from the moment. They ask for power to shine the lights bright on Jesus, not protection. A guy named Philip Brooks said this, Oh, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you'll, you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. They said, God, enable us to do what we, your servants, have been called to do with boldness. And then they said, God, you do what only you can do. Stretch out your hand. And after they prayed, it says, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Man, that would have been a cool meeting to be at, right? I love to have been there, right? The place is shaken, right? They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't make too much of that. To fill with the Holy Spirit, some of you are like, oh, what's that mean? I'm looking for an experience, right? You know what's very key to being filled with the Holy Spirit is to get myself in the rightful place. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, recognize you're the doulos and he's the despotos. That, that's part of what that means. And, and they went out and spoke the word bold, boldly. They, they went out and spoke the word boldly, which leads to the last what if, and then we're done. But the last what if is what if we were ready to act once we ask? They, they didn't just have a prayer meeting. <laughs> they didn't just pray, but, but they went out and acted. They said, we want boldness, and then they boldly acted. This is called the book of Acts that you have open. It's called the book of Acts, not the book of prayers, not the book of good intentions, ideas, or thoughts. Many times we ask God for things that, if we're honest, we're the answer. We ask God to do things that, if we're honest, we're the answer. Uh, parents, you want your kids to get a hold of God, and you're hoping that someone comes along to help them get a hold of God. And what if you were the answer to that prayer? God wants you as their parent to teach them. And we want friends to know about the hope of Jesus and we hope somebody comes along and shares that. And what if God wants you to be the voice of that message in their life? 
we want to see the next generation impacted and really get a hold of God. And what if God is calling you to be the one to invest in making sure the message of Jesus makes sense to the next generation? We want people to feel a sense of community. And what if God wants you to be the one to catalyze community for people who don't have community? We want to see God do incredible things in our church. And what if it's you that's the answer to that? And, and what if God wants to use you? We want to see people helped and we want to see needs met. And so we pray. But, but what if you're the answer to that prayer? What if once we ask, we acted? I just wonder, guys, what if prayer was our first response? Not our, not our last resort. What if we prayed together, too? <laughs> what if we really knew that our Heavenly Daddy was so much more than we thought? It probably would change what we asked for. And what if we began asking for different things and praying for different things? And if we did that, what would happen if we were ready to act after we ask? we might just be a community of called out people who are following Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, filled with the Spirit, who make a difference in a culture that desperately needs to know the hope, the power, the joy, the love, the forgiveness found in the gospel. So God, I pray that you would help us to pray to make a difference. God, I pray that you would so make us aware of your presence in our life that it would be our instinct, our reflex to pray first, that you would so drive us into our understanding of biblical community that we would dare to pray together, that you would open our eyes to see that you are so much more than just a heavenly daddy, but you're a daddy that is the ultimate ruler, king, creator who has spoken to us. God, I pray that as you change the way we pray, that we would be better, bolder witnesses, shining lights bright on Jesus, and that we'd be ready to act. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.